This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from our hermetically sealed studio in Tallahassee, where we've now had two days in a row with more than 5,000 new cases of COVID-19. Or as the governor put it. So we are, um, you know, we are where we are. As the Chamber of Commerce works to get Florida back in business, a warning from the head of the Federal Reserve Bank in Atlanta. Rafael Bostic says customers won't come back until they feel safe. The reason I, I'm worried is that uh, ultimately our economy operates on confidence. And if uh, workers and consumers are not confident they can go into a store and, and not get sick, uh, they're not going to go. The governor signs a bill expanding the number of vouchers that are available for kids to attend private schools on the public dime. He says it's all about choice. Today on Sunrise, we take a deep dive into offshore drilling. You know, I wrote 10 other puns for this headline in hopes of topping that, but no pun intended. We'll also have your daily calendar of political events and check in with a Florida woman who doesn't want the government telling her to wear a mask. This is just a taste of what's to come. You cannot escape God, not even with the mask or six feet. Okay, six feet is military protocol. You're trying to get the people to train them. So when the the cameras, the 5G comes out, what? They're they're gonna they're gonna scan everybody. We got to get scanned. We got to get temperatured. The kids have to go to school with masks. Are you insane? And now the top stories on Sunrise for Friday, June 26th. The state health department reported 5,004 new cases of COVID-19 Thursday, the second day in a row with more than 5,000. So how bad is the spike? Well, there have now been 114,000 confirmed cases in Florida, and 30% of them were reported in the last 10 days. The state has also reported another 46 fatalities. Florida's death toll from coronavirus is at least 3,377. The surge in COVID cases may be the monkey wrench in the governor's plan to reopen the state economy. Some of the businesses that reopened in May have closed down again because of the spike. But Governor Ron DeSantis says that's not his fault. We're not forcing him to do it. I mean, if that's the choice that they're making, they're making it. Um, I think that the folks, uh, you know, following the guidelines, people have been able to do it uh, in ways that are low risk. And that's been pretty much uh, the case since the beginning of May. And remember, you know, we did the, the opening at the beginning of May had very steady, um, you know, manageable cases. We've obviously seen that turn lately, um, but, you know, we had a very quiet May, and um, and I think everyone uh, has to acknowledge that. But that quiet in May has turned into a howl in June. Faced with a similar surge, the governor of Texas announced he was pausing their reopening efforts. But DeSantis is not pushing that button. Well, we're, we're, we are where we are. I mean, I'm, I'm not taking, I didn't say we're going to go on to, to the next phase. Um, you know, we've done a, a step-by-step approach, and it was an approach that's been reflective of the unique situation of each area. So, for example, South Florida, you know, they've been on a different schedule. Um, they've been on a much slower schedule. They also are having the biggest outbreak still, even with that slower schedule. Um, so that's the way you know it's been done. Uh, we never anticipated necessarily uh, doing anything different uh, in terms of uh, the next phase at this point, anyways. Uh, so we are, um, you know, we are where we are. Obviously, South Florida is where they are. Look, in May, if you remember, end of April, May, all the way through, you know, coronavirus was relatively uh, quiet in Florida. You had manageable cases. Our positivity rate was four or five percent consistently. And we had nursing home outbreaks. We had issues we were dealing with. Obviously, we were testing all the nursing homes. Very important. Then you got into kind of Memorial Day. You had a lot of protests for two weeks, and it kind of fell off the off the front pages. And I think that folks, 
you know, thought, you know, hey, let's move on to the next thing. And I think we know that it's not something that just goes away. It's something that you got to understand, you got to live with. And I'm confident that people, if you follow guidelines, if you follow the instructions from the local and the state and the federal uh, officials, uh, you know, you can do things uh, in, in a low risk way. The state's death rate has declined, but we're still losing an average of more than 200 Floridians a week. And the governor admits that may be the new normal for the foreseeable future. Well, obviously, we want to. We want this to end as soon as possible. Uh, I wish, if I, if I honestly thought it, it, it would end tomorrow, I would do cartwheels and I would tell people that. Um, but I said from the beginning, you know, even as we got through that first peak, we moved into the end of April and May, that um, you know the virus doesn't just disappear. Um, even when it's down, if you know, since to the extent people thought it maybe it comes back in the fall, there's still prevalence. Um, I think throughout the whole year, and and that's just the the, the reality. So. Um, we're going to have to live with that. Now, I would say, um, if you look, um, if you look at the COVID-related fatalities per capita, um, you know, we've done much better than anyone predicted, and um, we have a mo probably the most vulnerable population. Now, we've still got a lot of work to do, obviously. In the midst of this surge, the Florida Chamber of Commerce is trying to figure out how to proceed with reopening the state for business. Mark Wilson is president and CEO of the Chamber. We're very focused on safely relaunching Florida's economy. And our ultimate goal is to uh, work our way and unite the business community to help Florida recover its economy back to pre-COVID levels. I still maintain that if Florida was a stock, uh, I'd be buying all of it that I could. I think our fundamentals remain incredibly strong. Uh, we have uh, fairly united leadership. And I think what's gonna make Florida's recovery special is the way the business community is staying united in our approach. Florida was one of the last states to impose a stay-at-home order at the start of the pandemic, and critics have accused the business community and the governor of endangering lives by rushing to reopen. But it's really not up to them. Dr. Rafael Bostic is chairman of the Federal Reserve Bank in Atlanta, and he warned chamber members that business will not get back to normal until their customers believe they are safe. We're seeing the virus uh, become much more prevalent and much more present in a lot of places uh, where, frankly, it hadn't been seen before. And in that regard, I actually think that uh, Dr. Fauci's uh, observation that uh, we're actually still in the first wave of this virus, we haven't hit the second wave yet, is, is actually quite right. And I have to say, for me, this is a real source of concern uh, because it does suggest that there may be some risks out there that businesses and households are going to have to consider. And the reason I, I'm worried is that uh, ultimately our economy operates on confidence. And if uh, workers and consumers are not confident they can go into a store and, and not get sick, uh, they're not gonna go. Or if they're or restaurants or wherever. If, and it's the same story with workers. So getting the virus under control and having people feel confident they can go and do the things that they wanna do without putting themselves and their families at risk is quite important. And so we need to be thinking about how do we manage that, that virus? How do we manage our public response to that virus so that those risks are actually reduced? We actually have a pretty good understanding now of the most likely ways that the virus is gonna get transmitted, uh, which then suggests that, that we have a good idea about how to prevent that transmission. So masking becomes quite important. Um, we're also learning through uh, the medical uh, field about how to treat the virus. And with every day, uh, the medical profession learns more, which means that 
if we can buy time through doing things like masking, uh, we can get the virus under control uh, much better. Chamber President Wilson is a big believer in masking up, but he faces a dilemma. Now, business types usually prefer one statewide rule, so they don't have to worry about different rules in different towns. But Wilson helped draft the governor's policy, which recommends you use a mask but does not mandate them. It leaves that to local officials, which is why we now have a patchwork of rules depending on where you live. We are very aware at the Florida Chamber uh, about masks and local mandates. Uh, Governor DeSantis and Surgeon General Rifkes have been very clear uh, that it's smart to wear masks. It's a guideline to wear masks when social distancing is not uh, an option, and they've been very clear about that. Many businesses are doing that. Uh, not all residents are. Uh, and I say that to say we're now aware of about 40 different cities and counties that have some version of a mask mandate. Uh, we just have one in Leon County that just went into effect. In some places, the mandates are on the businesses, and in some places, the mandates are on the individual. But uh, since we have 412 cities and 67 counties, uh, my phone is ringing off the hook from many of you who are saying, wait, my, you know, one city does it one way, another city does it another, my county does it one way, and the county next door does it another way. And when you operate a business in multiple, uh, multiple jurisdictions, uh, we appreciate uh, how challenging that is, and we know what a field day it's going to be for a lot of these billboard trial lawyers. And so please, in addition to being safe, please talk to your House member and Senate member. One of the first things that they need to do, especially if we have a special session, one of the first things that we need to do in the coming months is to protect local businesses uh, who've been getting it right, who are following guidelines, doing temperature checks, hand sanitizer, uh, sending people home if they if they show signs or don't feel well, uh, masks, social distancing. We need to be very aware that you know Florida can't put ourselves in a uh, in a bad situation here, especially when we're talking about safety. Um, we're going to do the best we can to try to get some semblance of consistency, uh, but at the same time, we realize that you know Lake City and Two Egg and places like Live Oak are very different than places like Miami. Uh, or South Beach or Fort Myers for that matter. So we're, we're going to try to let local governments customize what they need, but at the same time, try to help businesses understand and decipher the rules of the roads. Speaking of masks, Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed is calling on the governor to make them mandatory in public places. She calls it common sense. Freed is the only Democrat holding statewide office in Florida, and she's been critical of the way DeSantis has handled the pandemic. The governor is asked about mandatory masking every time he holds a press conference, and every time he replies by saying he recommends it, but anything mandatory is up to local officials. In non-COVID news, the governor has signed a bill expanding the number of vouchers that allow kids to attend private schools at public expense. They call it the Family Empowerment Scholarship, and Education Commissioner Richard Corcoran says it's all about giving parents more choice. We are expanding a choice program that, that all of the national tests, all of the national surveys, Northwestern just came out, anytime you have robust choice, every single school gets better. All kinds of schools, every type of school gets better. And what we had... Last, in his first term, the first FES scholarship that he passed and authored had 18,000 slots. All 18,000 slots were immediately filled. It is the largest single choice program in the history of America that grew that much that fast in the history of our country. And that's an amazing thing. And so he came back this year, and the governor, with the great help of our legislature, 
passed another expansion of that scholarship, as you heard, is now it's going to go up to 29,000 kids. And, and education is everything. Education goes to who we are as human beings. It's what gives us hope. It's what gives us dignity. And every single person deserves that. And what's happening today is ensuring that all children in the state of Florida, thanks to the great work of our governor, are going to be afforded a world-class education. The governor signed the voucher legislation one day after he signed a bill setting aside $600 million bucks for teacher pay raises. Next up on Sunrise, a deep dive into the politics of offshore oil drilling. Florida has been protected for years, but that could change soon. You're listening to the Sunrise podcast on Florida politics, and we are much obliged. The Florida Hospital Association has released the OPEN plan, designed to allow Florida's safe resumption of elective surgeries and procedures. OPEN stands for O, observe the COVID-19 rate of community occurrence. P, prevent transmission. E, establish the process to restore elective surgeries and procedures. And N, network with all healthcare providers. You can read the OPEN plan today at FHA.org. Welcome back to Sunrise. Today we take a slight break from the pandemic drumbeat of gloom and doom to talk about something else that could wreck the Sunshine State, drilling for oil off the coast. Congresswoman Debbie McCarcel-Powell of Miami-Dade County says the game is afoot. We have received reports that the Trump administration is planning to open Florida's coast to offshore drilling after the November election. Protecting our environment is something that unites all Floridians of all political stripes. In 2018, Floridians voted to ban drilling in state waters, and last September, the U.S. House of Representatives voted on a bipartisan basis to permanently ban offshore drilling in the eastern Gulf. All but one representative from Florida voted for this ban. Floridians agree that offshore drilling would be disastrous for our state. Our ecosystem is incredibly delicate, and our economy and our communities rely on healthy coastlines and waterways. We experienced firsthand the destruction from the Deepwater Horizon catastrophe. And we remember like it happened yesterday. We need to be doing everything we can to make sure nothing like that happens again. Drilling and spilling um, are disastrous for our economy, for our communities. Our senators, Marco Rubio and Rick Scott, must advocate on behalf of constituents and make sure to put pressure on Leader McConnell to vote on the bill passed by the House to ban such drilling and the president must quickly sign it into law. You expect this sort of talk from a Democrat, but Congressman Francis Rooney says pretty much the same thing. And he's not the only Republican who wants to keep the oil rigs away from Florida. There is no such thing as spill-free offshore drilling. And we've testified many times together and separately about the Taylor spill off of Louisiana that's dumped over a million barrels. The recent last year and two years ago spills by Shell and uh, Louisiana land um, dropped almost 400,000 barrels each. It's impossible to guarantee no technological failures in something as complex as offshore drilling. I know something about it because I've been on the board of one of the biggest offshore drillers for many years. And the other thing is the military mission line is just south of Destin. And the military in its report that was published last year makes clear that in the future, the bulk of the testing is expected to be conducted right along the eastern side of the line. So it's critically important that we don't move that line. There's been some talk about moving the line to 150 miles off or 125 miles off. That won't protect Florida, especially not with the loop current, which runs clockwise from Pensacola down to Key West. Anything that should get in our water is gonna just cover the coast. Deepwater Horizon was 600 miles away from us and we had no impact. 
that you'd have thought we had tar-covered beaches the way our competitors on the East Coast and South Carolina and Texas beaches were marketing themselves against us. We can't have even the threat or the potential threat of a risk to our tourist economy. Captain Daniel Andrews knows all too well about the economic threat. The Deepwater Horizon spill cost him dearly. Florida's waters are fragile and our estuaries have experienced significant harm from water mismanagement and pollution in the state. And they're on a lifeline right now. You know, a threat like offshore drilling would be the straw that broke the camel's back for our estuaries. We've seen a significant degradation in the quality of these marine estuaries in, in the last 10 or 20 years. And as Congressman Rooney pointed out, we've seen um, the effects of the, the Deepwater Horizon oil spill. We never had a, a single tar ball on our beach here on the west coast of Florida, but a lot of the, the fishing guides and small business owners that depend on these, these waters, which, you know, it's a, a $70 billion a year industry in, in Florida for tourism. Um, a lot of people went out of business or had to make significant changes of life due to the economic devastation from that. And that was just a perceived threat. Um, there might be some places in the world where, where you can drill for oil, but off the coast of Florida is not one of them. Uh, the memories here that, um, that we want to leave are, are, are these ones, you know, holding, holding big fish and, and smiles and, and having good times, not, um, not offshore drilling. And I've, I've spent a lot of my time out in Louisiana fishing and they lose a football field of marsh every hour out there because of the, the channels that are cut through that marsh. And, you know, the, the, the infrastructure that comes along with this, huge oil tankers, helicopters flying over, um, you know, channels cut through all, all the land. It's not, a, um, it, it's not something that we need here in South Florida. It would, it would absolutely devastate our economy here and our quality of life and, and you know, undermine the, the reasons that we all moved here or live here in Florida. Coastal areas, of course, have the most to lose if something goes wrong. But Emma Hadesey with Florida Bay Forever says the impact would be felt statewide. This is an important issue that is troubling not only for Floridians in coastal communities, but should be a concern for Floridians across the state. Um, you know, for the Florida Keys, we are marketed for, renowned for, and defined by our delicate and amazing water resources that we have. And millions of people come to visit us every year to explore and experience these waters firsthand, whether it's the backcountry waters of Florida Bay, our coral reef tract, or even our offshore waters. Um, all of these waters are interconnected and our island chain is wholly dependent upon these resources being healthy and thriving to support our way of life here in the Florida Keys. Um, what I think makes this even more uh, troubling for us here is that our, our ecosystems are already fragile. You know, they're already degraded. Florida Bay has been chronically starved of freshwater for years. The coral reef tract has suffered from stony coral tissue loss and a number of issues integrated over the years. And both systems are in the midst of some pretty massive restoration efforts. And so offshore drilling could potentially threaten, undermine, or compromise these investments and the progress that we've made to better these systems. So the threat of offshore drilling, you know, I think we would feel the reverberations of that across estuaries, ecosystems, economies, and, and truly across the state. So I think it is of the utmost importance that we continue our, our calls to ban offshore drilling in Florida. The House has already passed a bill to limit drilling off the eastern side of the Gulf of Mexico, but the Senate has not seen fit to take up the bill. That means the presidential election will likely decide the future of drilling off the coast of Florida. 
Your calendar of events begins at 8 o'clock when the Florida Board of Physical Therapy meets in a conference call. The Board of Acupuncture meets by conference call at 9. U.S. District Judge Robert Hinkle holds a status conference and legal challenges to the state's vote-by-mail procedures at 10.15. The South Florida Water Management District is holding a workshop at 2 to start the process of updating Northern Everglades watershed protection plans. And on Saturday morning at 9, State Representative Anna Eskimani of Orlando takes part in a Lake County Democratic Party online fundraising event. Finally, it's time for Florida Woman, the rant. Palm Beach County commissioners have approved a mandatory mask rule, and they've unleashed the fury that is Florida Woman. I don't know her real name, so let's just call her Karen. Well, Karen does not want to be forced to wear a mask, and she told the commission in no uncertain terms. Get out your conspiracy theory bingo card and see how many she checks off during this 1 minute and 47 second diatribe. You literally cannot mandate somebody to wear a mask knowing that that mask is killing people. It literally is killing people. And my, the people, we the people, are waking up. And we know what citizen's arrest is. Because citizen's arrests are already happening, okay? And every single one of you that are obeying the devil's laws are going to be arrested. And you... Doctor are going to be arrested for crimes against humanity. Every single one of you have a smirk behind that little mask, but every single one of you are going to get punished by God. You cannot, you cannot escape God. You cannot escape God. I'm going to say that again. You cannot escape God, not even with the mask or six feet. Okay? Six feet, like I said before, is military protocol. You're trying to get the people to train them so when the, the cameras, the 5G comes out, what? They're, they're going to they're gonna scan everybody. We got to get scanned. We got to get temperatured. The kids have to go to school with masks. Are you insane? Are you crazy? I think all of you should be in a psych ward right the heck now because none of you, none of you know what the hell you are all talking about. This is insane. And then you want to open this meeting with a prayer to God. Are you praying to the devil? Because God is not listening to that prayer because all of you are practicing the devil's laws. What happened to Bill Gates? Why is he not in jail? Why is Hillary Clinton not in jail? Why are all of, the, all of these pedophiles that are demanding you all to, to listen to their rules, why are they not in jail? Oh, is it because you're part of them? Thank are you, you part of the deep Your state? Time has expired. The deep state is going down. And if any of you are morning. in the deep state, you're going down with it. Let's see now. Masks kill. It's the devil's law. Devil worship. Crimes against humanity. Wrath of God, Hillary, Bill Gates, covert military indoctrination, 5G cell surveillance, the deep state, a pedophile ring, and my favorite, it's not me, you're all insane. I think we have a bingo. That's it for today's episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again Monday as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.